We've been looking at the book of Genesis, and we've been kind of working our way through. And last week we talked about uh, chapter 12, the first part of chapter 12, when God called Abraham. And uh, we talked a little bit about walking with God, about how we can walk with God as he calls us to, to walk with him and to go with him and to uh, serve him and worship him. And the promises that he made, seven promises in those first seven verses, I will bless you, I will make your name great, I will bless your your hands, I will give you a new land. He's, over and over, he keeps telling Abraham what he was going to do. And uh, then we come to, to verse 10. Years ago, when uh, Jennifer and I accepted the call of God to ministry, and we left our home in New Mexico to go to Texas to to study, to, to study in the ministry. When I got there, it was Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth. The, uh, they had a chapel service each day. Uh, I think it was each day at 10 o'clock. They had a chapel service, and I, I went to the very first chapel, the very first thing that I was there, and one of the Old Testament, one of the Old Testament professors got up and preached on this passage that I'm going to do this morning. And it impressed me to no end because Jennifer and I had left where we were, left where we were comfortable, left where we knew people, and went to a place where we knew nobody. Didn't have jobs, didn't have a place to live. We, we just went because we felt like God had called us there. And this professor gets up and preaches this passage of Scripture. Now, this isn't his sermon, okay? I can't remember that well. <laughs> it was back in 1973, and there wasn't any internet to go back and record it again. But basically, here, here's what he said. What do you do? What do you do when you get to where God has called you, and there's a famine in the land? Everything we said positive about Abraham last week, he gets to the promised land, and there's a famine there. Let's read it. It's in Genesis chapter 12, beginning with verse 10. And it just simply starts out. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was very severe in the land. And it came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarah, his wife, See now, I know that you're a beautiful woman, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, so that it may go well with me because of you, and that I may live on account of you. It came about when Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Therefore he treated Abram well for her sake, and gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. Then Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they escorted him away, 
with his wife and all that belonged to him. Things aren't always what they seem to be. We, we think we're following God. We think we're doing what's right. And then we're faced with a new problem or a new set of problems. And so the question is, when we're walking with God and we come to a famine, what do we do? How do we respond? Years ago, while I was pastoring in southern Utah, uh, I went on a fishing trip in the desert with a friend of mine. And uh, he worked for BLM, and so he knew this place where uh, you could go fishing and uh, catch fish that most people didn't know about. It was really just a little stream that came out of, uh, out of Nevada, ran through Utah for about 10 miles, and then back into Nevada. Uh, so it wasn't even known as a Utah River. But we went down there. We drove down to, to uh, out of St. George. We drove 36 miles off the highway on a desert road, stopped by the side of the road, then hiked down into a valley, hiked three miles down it. It's a lot of trouble to go fishing. <laughs> to go fishing in this, this pristine spot. And, and we caught fish, and we caught fish, and we didn't quit fishing until we had our limit, but we'd kept throwing fish back. The ones that didn't die, we threw them back. And, you know, we probably caught 50 or 60 fish that day in that, in that little river. Had a great time. Stayed a little late. And when we returned to the van, we were, we were in Tom's van, we, we started out. And on the way out, I'm being gracious here, we made a crucial mistake. I wasn't driving, I understand. Mm -hmm. But a crucial mistake was made. It didn't look like much at the time. We didn't even know that it happened. But we turned on a road when we should have kept going straight. We got on the wrong road. We left the road back to the highway. And at that point, it was just a little mistake. We'd have, we could have corrected it really easy if we would have known about it. But as it turns out, the further we went, the further off course we were and didn't know it. And then we got stuck. I mean, we got stuck tight. We couldn't move the van. So it's about 5.30 in the evening on a December night in Utah. And we're, we think, we think we're about 30 miles from the highway. And no way to get there. So we decided that we would walk out. And understand, it's 5 o'clock, and it's 30 miles. We figured out, okay, if we work, walk really, really fast. Anyway, we, we figured it all out. And so we started off without realizing the whole time we were getting further and further off course. The, the, Tom's wife called the office, sent people out to look for us. And they went out to look for us. They went all the way where we were supposed to be. And they didn't find us. They called back and said, they aren't here. <laughs> because we weren't on the right road. We were lost. We were, we were all the way off course. And that happens to us in our spiritual life. We make a choice. It was a wrong choice. 
We don't realize it is a wrong choice at the time we make it, but we start walking and we get off course, and the further we go, the further off course we get. And you know, we, we've been looking at Abraham. He's called the father of the faithful. And when Abraham left Ur, he was on course with God. When he left Haran, he was following the footsteps of God. He went going with the call of God. And he came to Canaan, the land that God had showed him. This is it. He was still on course. He was where God sent him to be. And then, facing a difficulty, he changed roads. And from the moment he changed roads, the further off course he got. The writer of Genesis just simply says, when Abram got to Canaan, there was a famine in the land. That's not what Abraham expected to, to, to see. All the things that God promised him when he left, God never said anything about a famine. But when he got there, there was a famine in the land. And so what we see is a picture of what happens when our faith meets a famine. What do we do? As we talked last week about Abraham walking with God and how faith is walking with God, and we looked at Abraham, how he heard the call of God, and he left his home not knowing where he was going, but he knew who he was going with. He set out to go with God to a land that God would show him, a land that God promised to give to Abraham's descendants, of whom he had none at that point. And so Abraham was moving with God, and Abraham was confident with what he was doing. It looked like it was the Canaanites that had everything together. You know, the Canaanites had been there. They had the fields. They had the wells. They had the cities. They looked established, and here was the, the, the Bedouin, Abraham, just walking through the land. The, Canaanite, the Canaanites looked permanent, but the truth is, is that Abraham walking with God was the permanent one. He was the one that, that was doing what was going to be positive. And it's a picture of a spiritual journey. We, we move with God from glory to glory. But when we stop walking with God, we're on the wrong trail. We're on the wrong path. We make the wrong decisions. There there never will come a time in your life, there never will come a time in your life when you can say, I have arrived where God wants me to be. You can't stop moving. You've got to keep moving with God. You've got to keep walking with the Lord. The walk of faith is a walk with God. God's people are not citizens of the world trying to make it to heaven. We are citizens of heaven trying to make it through the world. That's who we are. And when everything didn't go smoothly for Abraham, when he got to the land of promise, you know, I don't know what he thought, but he walked all that way, all the way across the desert, and he got to Canaan, and there was already somebody there. The Canaanites already lived there. Verse 6 it said that there were, there were Canaanites in the land. He traveled back and forth surveying the land. He saw the promise of God. He believed it, and he appropriated it. But come on, you got to wonder. 
if he would have known ahead of time what he was going to find when he got there, do you think he would have left? Do you think he would have left? When we're afraid of the future, when we're afraid of what's ahead, we're tempted to just sit still. But folks, listen to this. God never leads us by our fears. God leads us by faith, by trusting Him, by walking with Him. And if we wait until everything is perfect and settled before we go with God, God just goes on and leaves us. He doesn't wait. We also know, that told us back in verse 7, that the Lord was in the land too. The God who had called him was in the land, not just the Canaanites. And just when the fears begin to take over or could have taken over, the Lord appears to Abraham and begins to talk to him about his blessing and the way he's going to be blessed now that he's in the land. And this is the first time, the first part of chapter uh, 12, the first time that the Bible explicitly states that the Lord appeared to anyone. Now, he had spoken to Adam. Uh, he'd get, gotten a message somehow to Noah. Uh, and he spoke with Abram in, in, the, in Ur and told him to go. And Abram knew who God was. But this is a greater manifestation than any of those because it says the Lord appeared unto Abraham. And he saw the Lord. Just when he needed it most, he gets a new sense of God's presence and a deeper expression of God's promise. The Lord says to him, you know, pitch your tent and build you an altar as an outward expression of your faith. Pitch your tent and worship me here. And as long as he did that, he was on course with his life of faith. But when he stopped it, he got off course. You see, building an altar is outward expression of our faith. He said to Abraham, build a tent that means you belong in the land and an altar that says you recognize that I'm here with you. And Abraham could have said, I don't need to build an altar. You know, I will just worship you here in my tent. Out of sight. Just you and me, God. That way I can avoid the Canaanites knowing what I'm all about. That way I can avoid the work, the ridicule, the misunderstanding. But we need to recognize that, folks, our worship is worship when it becomes public. It's not worship in private. It can be prayer in private. It can be praising God in private. But it's worship when we're worshiping together, when we're worshiping in public. And, and not only that, but Abram's not the only one involved. We know by now that there are 300 people with him. Those people need a place to worship. And the Canaanites who were in the land needed to see him worship the Lord. Uh, and and, and you know, the Canaanites were watching Abraham as he built altars everywhere he went. And they were confused because they didn't understand what he was doing. But Abraham, at every stop, at every place he went, he made a visible marker, a visible altar, a visible uh, monument the Lord, that he worshiped the Lord. He made a, 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 a physical, a public statement that he was walking with Jesus. And then the famine and Abraham changes roads. 
There was a famine in the land of promise, the scripture says. What he must have faced, famine. He has has 300 people with him that have to be fed. And all the cattle. And Ur of the Chaldees, the place where he had left, was one of the most fertile areas of the whole world. And he had left there to come to the desert land of Canaan where there was a, a, a famine. But to his credit, he didn't turn back. He didn't go back where he had come from. But he left the life of faith. Because you see, another incredibly productive area of the world was Egypt. And so he went to Egypt. Egypt was called the granary of the world. And there's no evidence in chapter 12 that there was any word from God, no appearance from God. God had said, set up your tent here, and Abram just left the land. He lost sight of God. Uh, And I think the fact that the first thing he does when he gets there is cook up some crookedness is evidence that he's, he's walked away from God. A person who's walking with God doesn't have to lie or cheat or steal or deceive or scheme. They're walking with the Creator who can supply everything we need for the journey. And, and another thing that I notice as I read through there, there's no altar in Egypt. There's no indication that he built an altar once he left Canaan to go into Egypt. And then he tells he tells his wife to tell Abraham to tell Pharaoh that he's his sister, not his wife, because he's afraid of what might happen. He's afraid. And so he does something based on his fear. Now, you need to understand that this is only a half lie, okay? Because she is his half sister. They they have the same father, but different mothers. But he's also his wife. Don't tell him you're my wife. Just tell him you're my sister and, and leave that alone. Tell, tell a partial truth. Tell, tell a part truth. And so he begins to rationalize and forgets the promises of God. When, when, when famine met faith, Abraham forgot what, is, what, what it should be for a Christian. The most important thing to remember, and that is God's greater promise God's greater promise is always including the lesser promises he takes care of all of us the whole thing God would not have let Abraham starve to death in Canaan he didn't have to leave the land God would not have allowed Pharaoh to kill him He didn't have to tell a lie. He experienced the misery then of being out of the will of God. When when I sit back and contemplate this and think about this, think, think of what's happening here. He's gone to the land and Pharaoh has taken his wife. He's taken his wife to be one of his own wives because he thinks it's his sister. Now, here's the thing. For those of you who are wondering about all of that, when, when Pharaoh took a woman to be his wife, he didn't sleep with her for at least eight or nine months. 
because he wanted to make sure she wasn't pregnant with some other guy's kid because he wanted his descendants to be verifiably his own. So he's in, she's in Pharaoh's house, but Pharaoh has all of his wives, and, you know, and, and uh, he, he can wait eight or nine months to uh, be with Sarah. So he begins sending Abraham gifts. They're basically wedding gifts that he's sending to Abraham looking forward to the great day when he's going to marry Abraham's sister. And he thinks it's all going to be a great thing. You know, He's going to marry Abraham's sister and these two countries are going to be together and, and all of that. And so he begins sending him these gifts. She was already in his harem, but she wasn't his wife yet. Every gift that came as a wedding gift came from Pharaoh to Abraham. Now, now imagine this. Just imagine it for a minute. Abraham is sitting there at night alone in his tent because he's lost his integrity. He's lied about who he was. He walked away from God. His companion in faith is missing. The woman who had walked with him through the desert was gone. The woman who had been a part of God's promise with him was gone. You know, and Jennifer left Wednesday. I've been by myself since Wednesday. And folks, it's miserable. You know, I, I just got to tell you. Uh, if I didn't have these two little guys to watch over, uh, you know, I, I don't know what I'd do. Uh, the, but there was nothing for Abraham. Nothing. She's gone. She's living in another man's house. The woman who had been a part of God's promise with him was nobody there. She had walked all the way from Ur to Haran to Canaan to Egypt with him. And I, and I think to myself, every single time he saw one of those caravans coming from Pharaoh's house, bringing the payoff, it must have made him sick to his stomach. It just, just, just made him miserable. If you look at the gifts, it says there were sheep and cattle and donkeys and camels and servants, both manservants and maidservants. And, and think about that for a minute. It was very likely that one of those maidservants that came during that time was an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar, who's going to be the son of more problems. Now, that, that's just a suspicion. I, you know, I, I don't know that. It doesn't say that. But we do know that later on, there's an Egyptian maidservant in Sarah's home called Hagar. And you know, if, if you've ever walked with God and now you're not, you know where you're at. Abraham found himself in a place of misery and he faces rebuke from who? From Pharaoh. From Pharaoh himself. The great irony of this story is that God used a pagan king to rebuke his chosen servant. Abraham should have been 
morally superior to the king of Egypt. He should have been able to let his light shine on the light of the one true God into Pharaoh's darkness. But that's not what happened. Pharaoh demonstrated more character and better morals than God's chosen servant. And, and as I think about that, I can't help but think, what kind of opinion did Pharaoh have of Abraham and Abraham's God after Abraham left? Do you think Abraham's actions drew Pharaoh towards God? No. Put, pushed him away. And Pharaoh could have stripped Abraham of his possessions and tossed him into prison or simply have him executed. And Pharaoh didn't do any of those things. Maybe he realized that if he was suffering now for what he'd already done to Abraham, he didn't want to do anything worse. It may be that God intervened on his behalf. But Abraham didn't leave Egypt of his own accord. Pharaoh ran him out. He said, get back where you came from. The good news in all of that is that God intervened in what was happening. Did Abraham deserve for God to intervene? I'm looking for a nod or a shake. No, he didn't deserve it. He didn't deserve it. God just graced him with that. I want to I want to end this morning with an illustration it comes out of history. Actually, it comes out of the 19th century, the late 19th century. There was a missionary by the name of Hudson Taylor. Many of you have heard of Hudson Taylor. He's, uh, he was in China. And when he was an old man, the Boxer Uprising, the Boxer Rebellion broke out in China. And that uprising was a time when the people of China, uh, government of China attacked violently all foreigners who were in China. They were trying to, to run the foreigners out of China, especially run the British out of China. They wanted to get all the foreign influence out of China. And they basically, they, they focused on Christian missionaries and persecuted the Christian missionaries and their Chinese converts. And the government of China, just, you know, they looked the other way as the so-called boxers, that's, they were gangs, and that's where the Boxer Rebellion came from, gangs of Chinese street thugs attacked foreign embassies. They attacked missionary compounds. They, they burned churches. They terrorized. They pillaged. They raped. They killed. All of those who were of foreign influence who were in China. And every day, new reports came to Hudson Taylor's missionary headquarters of the death and the persecution of other missionaries and the Chinese Christians. Hudson Taylor had spent his whole life evangelizing China, building the Chinese church, and now it was all crumbling before his eyes. And one day when the news was particularly bleak, his associates wondered if the discouragement would be just too much for this elderly man, this elderly missionary. And Hudson Taylor had spent the morning alone in his house, and his associates came to see him in the afternoon. They, they were really afraid 
that they would find him despondent, discouraged, depressed. And as they approached the house, they heard singing. And Hudson Taylor was singing. Hear the words. I don't know the, I don't know the melody, or I'd sing it for you and you'd all be blessed. But here were the words. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. I am finding out the greatness of thy loving heart. Thou hast bade me gaze upon thee, and thy beauty fills my soul. For by thy transforming power, thou hast made me whole. Yeah, is that a blessing or what? Here's this guy, they were worried about him. They were afraid that he was depressed and despondent. And they went to encourage him. And when they got there, he blessed their socks off because he was excited. He was trusting. He was believing. He had faced famine in the land and he didn't depart. He stayed. When life is so hard, we need to hold tighter to God saying God I trust you I know you will see me through this experience I will stay right here with you in the land of famine I will worship you at the altar I will not be moved and when we do that we can rest in the joy of who God is and see the greatness of his heart and the beauty fills our souls and through God's transforming power, we can be made whole. Folks, that's spiritual truth. That's scriptural truth. That's what could have happened and eventually did happen with Abraham. But you and I both know there are times when our walk of faith, when something just doesn't work out, when something doesn't look like it should, we get hurt or we find Canaanites in our land of promise, or there's a famine, or both, or all three. We realize that we started off with God, but we changed roads. You got off course. We're spiritually miserable. Maybe you stopped building altars. You decided that outward expression of faith was not important. It's time to listen to the word from God and get thee back to where they were, where you were. That's the end of the sermon. But I realized just all of a sudden I left you hanging with me in the Utah desert in December, didn't I? I left you hanging there. Yeah, I could see it in your eyes. What happened? What happened? It got dark. It got real dark. We had to quit walking because it was so dark. We couldn't even see the ground. And so we, we sat down and uh, we built a fire and decided we were just gonna spend the night there. And then all of a sudden in the east, or what we thought was the south, there's a light starts coming up into the sky. You know starts to get bright over there. And I said, Tom, we're going south. What is that light? And he says, oh, that's the lights of St. George. And I said, I don't think so. 
I think that's the moon. I think the moon's coming up directly in the south. What a terrible thing. And it was at that point we realized that since 5 o'clock in the afternoon, we'd been walking east when we thought we were walking south. We had a, um, we had a map. As a matter of fact, we checked the map several times because I'd already started saying to Tom, I don't think this is the road we came on. And when we finally got to a place where there were crossroads, where we might be able to determine where we were, we got our lighter. We didn't have a flashlight. We got our lighter and read the map, pointed out the places where we were, figured out where we were, and uh, realized we had about 22 more miles to go to get to a different road than the one we thought we were headed to. And about 3 o'clock in the morning, we walked out of the Utah desert into a little town called Gunlock. And uh, we're, walk we're walking down the street in Gunlock. It's just a little town. There's nobody there. Uh, you know, there's no... no there's one street light. All the houses are dark. And we're walking down there, and Tom, bless his heart, Tom, Tom was a believer. He loved Jesus Christ. And he, he just started praying out loud, God, show us which house door to knock on. Show us where to stop. Show us who to ask for help. And I don't know how the Lord showed him, but he stopped and he said, it's this house. And we walked over and knocked on the door of the house. The lady came to the door, went and woke her husband up, then let Tom in the house, and he used the phone and called his wife and my wife. And uh, we found out that the BLM had been out looking for us, the sheriff had been out looking for us. The whole world was looking for us, 25 miles over there where we weren't anymore. It's been... Forty some years ago, and Jennifer's almost forgiven me for that night. At this point, uh, but God was good to us. God will be good to you. Just walk with God, and 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 I think that it that it's important to realize that before before we could get ourselves together enough to get out of the trouble, we had to look at the map. <coughs> Folks, God's Word is our map. God's Word is our map. And if you want to be in the hand and in the heart of God, keep looking at your map.